welcome to the Sequoia Breeze podcast, a breath of fresh air for your homeschool. I am your host, Rebecca Lasavio. Welcome listeners. Today, I have Karen Drager and HST with Feather River joining me. And Karen has a wealth of knowledge to share with us about the Myers-Briggs personality test. Now, when you first hear that, it may not seem at first blush like this is a homeschool topic, but Karen has so many great ideas about how understanding our own personality and our children's personalities can help us make our homeschooling experience better. Welcome, Karen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. I'm really glad to be here. Why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your family, your homeschool journey, and your teaching experience. Well, my name is Karen Drager, and I'm a teacher with Feather River Charter, and I've been teaching with our school for three years. And before that, I homeschooled with our school for about three years. Um, But I've actually been homeschooling for, oh, I homeschooled about 11 years, I think, total. And um, I have my husband, Darren, who's a hospital chaplain, and I've been married to him for 22 years. And I have two daughters, Rachel and Maddie. Rachel's 19 and Maddie is 14. Um, And so I have the the teenagers now, which has kind of been an interesting road. Um, And I homeschooled starting when Rachel was in kindergarten. Um, She went to public school at first, the regular traditional public school. And uh, it just turned out to not be a great fit for her with her special needs. Um, She has Turner syndrome. And so that um, comes with some pretty severe learning disabilities. So we decided that we would start homeschooling. And then I kind of figured it would just be easier to homeschool my other daughter as well. So we did it until Rachel was a junior in high school. And then we decided to put her in uh, Rockland High School so that she can take part in their transitions program, which is the um, a program after high school where they train you to work a job and to learn transportation and things like that. So um, so we're no longer homeschooling, but that's pretty much the reason why. Um, and I loved every second that I did it. Um, of course, there were some rough days, but, um, you know, overall, it was just a great experience and I wouldn't trade it for the world. So I got interested in the Myers-Briggs personality test. Um, Started out when I was in grad school working on my master's. Everybody took that test for one of my classes. My husband took it as well. He was my fiance back then. And um, I got, I just kind of sparked my interest because, um, you know, I didn't know exactly if I was an extrovert or an introvert or intuitive or sensing, you know, any of those things. And so having this, you know, test that I took and it kind of told me what some of my strengths and my weaknesses would be um, was pretty interesting to me as a young, you know, teacher who was just starting out in my career. And then my husband tested and he turned out to be like a polar opposite of me. His I'm an ENFP and he is an INTJ and we're actually listed as polar opposites. It's really funny. Um, And his personality is like a 1% of society. Um, So he's got kind of an unusual personality, but that made me even more curious about it, you know, um, how we balance each other out and how you can be, they say that, you know, 
like opposites attract. And it really is true. You know, we're very opposite in a lot of ways, but then we have some similarities as well. And I think that learning about the Myers-Briggs um, personality types and some of those characteristics really helped me understand our relationship better. And so um, when I got to be a homeschooler, um, over the years, I've wondered the same thing, you know, how our personalities kind of playing into our homeschool day. And if we had a particularly bad dynamic going on at the time, you know, how can I fix this? How can I, you know, how can I understand my child better? So, and kind of step outside of myself. Is that kind of, that's kind of what got me interested in Myers-Briggs. Um, and then as a teacher, you know, I deal with, I work with so many families um, and students um, that we, you know, trying to give advice for homeschooling or think of creative ideas for, you know, your daily routine, that kind of thing. And personality really plays into that as, you know, quite a bit. Um, so again, you've got like a lot of personalities living in one household sometimes, and they're all interacting. And um, we're all trying to just learn how to live with each other and how to, um, you know, with homeschooling, how to learn with each other. Um, and sometimes it's a challenge. So I started learning about the Myers-Briggs test. Um, and the first thing I did was to look up who Myers-Briggs is. And I just kind of figured they were, you know, some male, you know, psychiatrists or somewhere that, you know, decided they were going to do a research project. And that's not the case. When I looked up who they are, um, Catherine Briggs and Isabel Myers Briggs, it's a mother and daughter team. And um, they were homeschoolers. And when I read that, I thought, oh, wow, that is super cool. I had no idea that they were homeschoolers. Um, and so when I delved a little bit deeper into their lives, um, I learned some interesting things about why the Myers-Briggs was created in the first place. Um, so basically, Catherine Briggs was born in 1875, and she was a very ambitious lady for the time. Um, her, her When she lived, it was you know not a time when a lot of women worked outside of the home and that kind of thing. And she was an agriculture professor in a college, which was pretty remarkable for, um, you know, back then it would have been around, you know, 1900 when she was doing that. And um, she got married to another professor and she had a child and the child was Isabel. And when Isabel got to be a little bit older, she went to school with all the other kids and her mom started realizing, you know, the kind of work she was doing and that Isabel was pretty bored and seemed to daydream a lot. And she said, you know what? I think I can teach my child better. I think we can do better than this. And does that sound familiar? Kind of sounded familiar to me when I was reading it. Like, oh, I've been in that road, down that road before. Um, and so she brought her home and she didn't even really have a formal education plan for Isabel. She just gave her a bunch of books and she said, here, um, you know, why don't you start reading whatever interests you? And then I want you to write in about it. And then we're going to talk about what you write. And that was her plan at first. Um, so she was even kind of a little bit of an unschooler, which I thought was really interesting. And um, so Catherine kept 
working and her husband was um, homeschooling Isabel more than she was, um, but they kind of did it as a team as well. And then when Isabel grew up, um, she married a man who had a difficult personality and Catherine had a hard time getting along with him, but she really wanted to because she wanted to have a good relationship with her daughter. And so she became more interested in personalities. And um, another reason that she also was interested in personalities is because she was a fiction writer and she was trying to figure out how to develop her characters in her books um, and make them very believable. And so she um, started kind of studying different personalities. Well, when she met Isabel's husband and decided that she better learn how to get along with him, that got her even more interested in personalities. So she started researching and she came upon Carl Jung. And Carl Jung was a um, scientist who did research with, with Sigmund Freud um, most of us have heard of Sigmund Freud and his psychodynamic theories. Well, Carl Jung was part of the psychodynamic theories, and he was a follower of Freud, and he actually worked with him. They were friends. And she got very interested in Carl Jung's theories of personality, and that kind of got her going on her own research. And then eventually, um, Isabel grew up and had kids of her own, and it was around World War II, and she got a job where she was placing people um, to help with the war effort. She was placing them in jobs, and she was trying to figure out who would do best in what jobs to help with the war effort. And she started thinking, you know, personality plays into this a lot. And, um, you know, there's got to be a way to match up people and have them take a test and figure out where they're going to work and have them be successful. And that kind of got, and she, she jumped into the Myers-Briggs studies that her mom was doing because she was interested in her job that way. And so she started helping her mom. And then they started testing different age groups and, you know, mostly high school students or college students as the age groups they would test. And they got it down to a real science. And then Isabel, later on in her life, she made it into the actual Myers-Briggs test that was a very definitive um, personality sorter is what they called it, you know, where they, they sort your personality types. So, um, so that's the story of Catherine and Isabel. And then um, their, how they developed the Myers-Briggs. The Myers-Briggs is kind of based on the psychodynamic theories of Carl Jung and Sigmund Freud. Um, but also there's a little more flexibility built in because there's recognition that your personality does not stay the same your whole life. You know, you can, your personality can change as you get older. So there's a little bit more play of that in, in there too. That's a really fascinating history. And like you, I had assumed that Myers and Briggs were men and that they were considerably more recent than they were. The fact that it all started back in the 1800s is really surprising to me. So for those who aren't familiar with the Myers-Briggs personality test, it's a little bit of an alphabet soup. But once you know what all the letters stand for, it all comes together and begins to mean something. Can you tell us more about Sure. So you're right. There's a lot of um, letters <laughs> and the Myers-Briggs has 16 different personality types. So, you know, it 
when you take the test, it um, kind of sorts out different attributes of your personality. And then it tells you, okay, you're an ENFP or you're an INTJ or, you know, whatever your letters happen to be. And then you're able to um, research it and, you know, look at what your initials mean. But there's four different categories. So the first one is where you get your energy. And you're either going to be an I or an E. So you're an introvert or an extrovert. And most people think, oh, that means I'm shy or I'm not shy. No, that's not what it means. What it means is what gives you energy. So do you get your energy from being alone or do you get your energy from being with friends? And then also, do you um, think on your feet or do you need time to think before you share your, your thoughts with other people? So that's one way to tell if you're an introvert or an extrovert. I didn't necessarily think about the thought processing part of it, but that's part of it too, is do you talk and think while you talk, which is what I do, (laughs) or do you like to sit and think and make your decision and then share your thoughts with other people? Um, And that's what my husband does. So um, we're opposite that way. So you would be an introvert or an extrovert. So that would be your first letter, I or E. And then the second one is N or S, and you're either intuitive or you're sensing. And intuitive means that you are focused on the possibilities. You're an idealist. There's a lot of possibilities that you want to be able to think through. You see the big picture. You see how everything connects. You like to think in terms of concepts. Sensing people are realists. So they use their five senses to assess everything around them. And they like to pay attention to the concrete facts. They don't necessarily care about the abstract ideas. So you're either an N or an S, intuitive or sensing. Um, Just how you make decisions is the third one, the third category. Are you a thinker or are you a feeler? Thinkers are logical and they make decisions analytically. They value fairness and they enjoy finding flaws in arguments. And they're pretty level-headed people. They don't really let their emotions play into their decision-making very often. Feelers base their decisions on personal values and how their decisions may affect others. They're also um, very empathetic and warm people. So their emotions very much play into how they make their decisions, which can make them indecisive, by the way, (laughs) because I am a very indecisive person. Um, a lot of the time. And my husband is very decisive. So, um, and I think that's because we make decisions in different ways. He might make the list, the pros and cons list and kind of stick to that. I'm the one who really considers everybody's feelings and wants to make everyone happy. Um, So that would be the T or the F. And then the last category is organization. So are you judging or are you perceiving? And this is a little bit harder to understand if you're just reading it on paper. But um, basically, the judger likes rules, deadlines, and structure. They want to have clear and detailed instructions, and they want to have a plan and stick to it. So if you're going on a road trip, the judger is going to want that map. They're going to want to follow the map and know exactly what road to turn on, how long it's going to take, where the bathroom stops are, all those things. 
the perceiving person is not going to care about the map and it's going to be a little bit annoyed if you have to have one because they figure they're going to head in that direction and they'll figure it out as they go. And so they're not necessarily um, too worried about all the details. They're very spontaneous and they're flexible people. Um, they also see deadlines as negotiable. So a judging person might have deadlines that they follow. Perceiver might be like, oh, you know, that's not really a hard deadline, right? That's I'll get it done about that time, but not necessarily at that time. And then if you look at how it plays out in your life, you can break it down into four subtypes of personality. So you can have the SP, which is the sensing and perceiving, the SJ, the NT, and the NF. So the SP is somebody who is, um, they call it the activator. And this person is a free spirit, spontaneous, drawn to energy and motion. They're always doing stuff. They're always where the party is. They're a lot of fun to be around. They tend to have jobs that are in performing arts or entrepreneurship. Like they like to start up companies and then hand it off to someone else for them to run. They might be policemen. They might be involved in construction or things that are very hands-on and physical. As a spouse, the activator, the SP, really enjoys a lot of romance and like big gestures. Um, for example, they might love surprising somebody at Christmas with like an outrageous gift that makes them just go, oh, that is so awesome. You know, just they like that shock factor. They're prone to romance and whirlwind courtships that kind of sweep you off your feet. And then as a parent, this person tends to have a house full of unfinished projects. And um, they have a lot of great ideas, a lot of things going on at once. The kids are having a lot of fun, but they don't necessarily finish everything. It's just kind of everywhere. People are in their house a lot because they like to have a lot of activity, but it's not necessarily clean and that's not necessarily a problem for them. They don't think that's a big issue. The SJ is the stabilizer, sensing and judging. And the SJ is the person who is always prepared, the survivor, um, very parental, very traditional person. Um, they tend to be accountants or nurses or in insurance or financial planning, those kind of things. As a spouse, they express affection in traditional ways. They appreciate routines. I mean, not routines, rituals like anniversaries, you know, things like that, where you, you're supposed to give the gift on your anniversary. So they give the gift on their anniversary. They're focused on establishing their home as a social connection, a place for people to connect with each other. And then as a parent, they enjoy having chore charts. Um, they enjoy taking care of their possessions. They frequently have service projects going on, ways to help the community, and as parents, they're pretty authoritative. They can't really be taken advantage of. So that describes the SJ. I think you've just described my husband and I with those last two personalities. They're really opposite. Yeah, and that happens. I know. It's crazy. But I think they can also be very complimenting that where one's strength is, is where the other's weakness often is. Right. Yeah, definitely. So the NT is the third one. The NT is the intuitive and the thinker. 
and they call this person the clarifier. He's a perpetual student, um, the manager, very ambitious and confident person, and they love creating systems. So um, my husband was in retail. He was a retail manager for like 15 years. He's an NT. You know, he loves finding efficient ways to do things. They tend to be scientists or engineers or maybe math teachers, you know, people who really understand systems well and are able to teach it. They're the parent who has the chore charts and they like teaching their kids chore charts because if everybody does what they're supposed to do at the right time, then the household's going to run smoothly. And that brings them a lot of joy. As a spouse, they are slow to commit, but once they commit, they're all in. They don't really care what other people think about them or your relationship. And they don't date a lot. They have very few meaningful relationships. As a parent, they tend to have big libraries because they really value reading, learning things through reading. They have vintage collections of things. And I think of my husband, he has all kinds of Star Wars stuff and classic car models and things like that. So he really likes the vintage. They take family responsibility very seriously, and they think it's important to train their children. And they tend to be really good parents. The NF is the last one, and that's the intuitive and feeling person, the unifier. And um, this person is very people-oriented. They want to see other people succeed. They're the cheerleader, the encourager. They're very trusting. They don't believe that anybody would do anything mean. So they, you know, they get their feelings hurt because they trust people, but then, you know, not everybody is trustworthy. They tend to be teachers or ministers or counselors, sometimes writers. They are, as a spouse, they are expressive. They want to connect with their spouse spiritually and physically, not just, you know, on on a shallow basis. They want to be very connected, you know, and always, you know, I'm not just um, on on the shallow level, like some of the personalities might want to be. They value milestones and they always picture a happy ending. So, you know, if you get into a relationship, get into your marriage, they're going to picture everything working out just perfectly because why wouldn't it? And then as a parent, they tend to get bored with the mundane stuff of life. So they get bored with housekeeping. They want their home to be welcoming and comfortable, but they don't care if it's you know, spick and span clean. They're very sensitive to children's viewpoints, but they're also very quick to rescue. So they um, rescue too quickly. They don't let their children struggle and and um, kind of hash things out as often as they should. And sometimes there can be a problem with the fact that they like to kind of side with the underdog. So, and this happens in my family, I have to be careful because I tend to side with the child who's needy Sometimes I can side against my husband and not realize it at first. And that can be a problem. So you have to kind of watch how fair you're being. And if you're too clued into your kids' emotions, which I can be too clued in as well. So clearly there's some very distinct personality types that could create some very particular dynamics within the home. And I can imagine already some of the implications of that on a homeschool family that's trying to accomplish something and not just be together, but actually make progress in children's education. Yes, definitely. (laughs) 
I can imagine that most of us could find ourselves and our children in the personality types that you described. Can you tell us more about how to identify what our children's personalities might be? Sure. So it's it's typical it's it's difficult to figure out you know, exactly what personality type your child is going to be because they're too young to take the test. It's too difficult for them. Um, But you can kind of figure out uh, what they might be according to these identifying questions. So for the extrovert versus the introvert, one question that you might want to ask is, is your child hesitant in new situations or do they jump in right away? Because the introvert is going to be kind of hesitant and um, slow to speak, which sometimes people can perceive that as, you know, they're not too smart or <laughs> um, maybe there's something wrong with them, but that's not necessarily the case. They could be very intelligent. They're just very uncertain of um, others around them and they're wanting to process their thoughts before they express them. And then the extrovert, you know, child, they might jump in really quickly and be quick to talk. Um, but they don't necessarily have all of their thoughts formed as they're speaking. They're just speaking because, you know, they're, they're, um, that's how they process in their mind. So um, they're eager to try new things. They're confident and they're able to kind of switch from activity to activity a little bit better. And then when you get to sensation versus intuition, so is your child a, di- a daydreamer? Do they look outside the, d- the window when you're doing your math lesson and they're thinking about something completely different? Do they want to hear the same stories over and over or do they want to hear different stories? And what kind of stories do they enjoy? Because intuitive children really enjoy fairy tales and fiction and they want to hear them over and over again. It never gets old. But the sensing child really prefers like, biographies or how-to stories, you know, where you're learning how to do something and they really don't want to read it over and over. Once they have the information, they're ready to move on. And then thinking versus feeling, the question would be when asked to obey in a situation, they don't understand. Does your child ask for reasons or does the child seek to please? So the feeler is going to seek to please you. And so if you tell them to do something because you said so, they might go along with it because they're like, oh, I don't want mom to be upset. You know, that's good enough for me. I'll do it. But then the thinker is going to think, well, uh, that's not good. I want to know the reason, you know, I might have mom might be upset with me, but I need to know the reason why she's asking me to do this when I don't want to do it. Just pleasing her is not going to be enough. The perceiver versus the judging. So does your child want things settled, decided, chosen, or do they want to be surprised and have choices all the time? If your child is a judger, they're going to like established routines and schedules. This child probably has their own routine already set up that they follow and they don't need you to put it on paper. They just, you know, intrinsically, they just know, you know, this is when I want to get up. This is when I'm going to get dressed. This is when I want to do math or whatever. And then you can just kind of fall in alongside of them. The perceiver is kind of kind of drift through their day and they're going to have a messier room and they're not going to be very organized. And you're going to have to kind of help them with their goal planning and things like that. So those are some of the questions that you can use to try to figure out what your child is, you know, ballpark. And as they get older, also, you know, it might change a little bit. My daughters just took the Myers-Briggs test for the first time. 
And um, it was really interesting because their personality types came out different than I kind of thought they would, especially my 14-year-old. Um, she's me, only she's an introvert, like an extreme introvert. So um, that surprised me. So I would say, you know, if they're teenagers, they probably could take it. But the questions are, you know, pretty difficult for um, young children. It's really interesting to listen and find myself thinking about each member of my family and thinking about who fits what and noticing that sometimes they've got a foot in two camps. They're not strictly one type or the other. And I know that with Myers-Briggs, you aren't always firmly one personality type because we all have our own personalities and experiences that shape us. Right. And when I tested this time, because I took it again um, just recently, I was halfway, I was right in the middle between perceiving and judging. And I was really shocked because I've always been a perceiver. But my job, I think, in the last three years has forced me to be more judging, which is actually mm. a good thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, if somebody wanted to take the entire test, where could they find it? So, it's in a book called Please Understand Me. And it's by, um, I believe the author's name is David Kiersey. And you can buy the book on Amazon. They have, it's Please Understand Me too, because I guess they revised it. Um, and I think it costs $20. And if you buy the book, you'll get the test, which is about the 80 question test. It's not the most thorough one, but it's, you know, good. It's good enough. It's pretty thorough. And then, um, You'll have all the explanations for the personality types and then all of the, you know, talking about the roles and society and all some of the things that I just went over, plus more. It's really interesting. It's a good book. Awesome. And I will link to that in the show notes so that our listeners can find that easily. Karen, I would love to have you come back and tell us more about how we can apply this to homeschooling. So what do you say? Can we talk about this more in the next episode? Absolutely. I look forward to it. Me too. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Listeners, we hope you'll join us next time to finish our conversation with Karen Drager all about the Myers-Briggs test and how understanding your own personality as well as your children can bring more peace to your homeschool. That will be our final episode for this inaugural season of the Sequoia Breeze. We're so glad you joined us today for the Sequoia Breeze podcast. I have been your host, Rebecca Lasavio. If you have any comments, questions, or ideas for future podcasts, please send us an email at podcasts at sequoiagrove.org. We would love to hear from you.